0: The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gather in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service.
0: Here's Sam Doran. Well, for a four-day week, we really packed a lot in, folks. Uh, Colin Young and Chris Lesinski join me here at the Statehouse takeout table. Hi folks. Hey, happy Friday.
2: Is it actually Friday or are we already into next Tuesday? Because that's what it feels like.
0: Well, on one hand, it feels like Thursday, and yeah, on the other hand, it feels like next Tuesday. But uh, (laughs) we did pack a lot in with the legislature firing on all cylinders this week, really, with a House session, a House formal, a Senate formal, and uh, some substantive bills on the move here. Um, The latest of which is a uh, a new bill filed today by the governor. Uh, a major healthcare omnibus bill, uh, Colin, and we're just back up there from the uh, press room. Um, and so we're a little late to the takeout table this week. We're going to try to walk you through as, as much of this as we can. We're still working on
1: digesting the, the uh, entree that the <laughs> well governor said. served us a little bit after it lunchtime was, today. It was
0: kind of a combo platter, to be fair.
1: It, it was definitely a combo platter. And that's, that's a phrase the governor has used uh, repeatedly to, to talk about legislation. It and is. It's a, sort of a combo platter of, of things here he's offering.
0: Um, so, uh, Colin, this is the first step. This is the first step in another legislative conversation on health care. And last session, uh, the governor filed a bill, a similar process to this one, and that got the House and Senate talking about it. And then uh, they ended up with um, some stalled out uh, conference talks, right, that kind of broke down at the end of session.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Last July, July of 2018, as the legislature was wrapping up its formal business uh, for the session, the House and Senate were unable to come to a compromise on a health care bill. Each of their bills had focused on stabilizing community hospitals and uh, helping to slow the the rate of growth of consumer health care spending. We've known since then that uh, we should be expecting more legislation on the healthcare front. Uh, and the governor has always been a pretty active participant uh, on this issue.
0: Well, yeah, as a former head of Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare himself. Um, so some of the goals of uh, that bill that stalled out last session, um, we see repeated here uh, in the governor's bill today, such as helping out community hospitals, uh, driving down the cost to consumer. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about some of the, the nuggets within this combo platter.
1: Yeah, those are the big ones, Sam. The, um helping to stabilize community hospitals. Uh, And in the announcement the governor made this afternoon, he said his administration is approving a $15 million deposit into the health safety net trust fund, which is uh, going to help support care provided to the uninsured and underinsured patients at acute care hospitals and community health centers across the state. And then we get to the real, real big one, which is driving down consumer healthcare costs. Um, there are a lot of different ways the governor says his bill seeks to address that.
0: Um, and this is an issue that everybody's on board with, right? It's just a matter of how you do it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last year, in 2018, total spending on health care in Massachusetts uh, accelerated faster than it has in, in recent years, uh, and it rose 3.1% over 2017, Uh so in 2018 people in massachusetts spent 60.9 billion dollars uh on health care that was a 3.1 percent increase so this is an issue that there's there's widespread agreement uh must be addressed sam you said you were hungry for for nuggets i want some nuggets some nuggets here so the governor's bill uh attempts to address hidden consumer costs or surprise billing uh by placing prohibitions on facility fees and pro uh prohibiting surprise billing for unplanned emergency services that are provided by an out-of-network provider at an in-network facility.
0: I think I follow you.
1: So if you were to go to a, um, a hospital that is in your network right. uh, for an unplanned emergency service, something that you're you're not expecting to have happen and you end up having to go to the hospital, so you go to an in-network hospital yeah. and the service that you need is provided by... a provider who is outside of your network. And
0: they transfer you over there?
1: The provider at the hospital. So if, if the hospital is in network, but the provider who actually provides the service All right. is outside of your network.
0: I'm, I'm getting this. What
1: the governor's bill says uh, is that um, you could not be billed for the out of network, uh, f- uh, at the out of network rate for that Gotcha, Uh, And it also looks to hold drug companies accountable for what the governor called unjustified price hikes. Um, He
0: mentioned that EpiPen hike uh, a few years back as an example.
1: Right. That's the one a lot of people know about where, where, you know, uh, the price of EpiPens was whatever it was. And and over the course of a few years, it skyrocketed to where it was uh, potentially out of reach for some people who really need the epinephrine uh, for allergies or or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he said there would be major penalties for companies that that do that kind of thing going forward. Right. And
1: the bill also uh, seeks to hold the commercial market to the same standard that the legislature and the governor recently adopted for mass health drug prices uh, by giving CHIA, the Center for Health Information and Analysis, the authority to refer these new Uh, Recently approved and high-cost drugs uh, would be drugs that would cost more than $50,000 per person per year. Uh, Chia would be able to refer those to the Health Policy Commission for a review of whether those prices are justified or not.
0: All right. Well, I'm digesting all those nuggets, Colin. But uh, in the meantime, one of the other top-line parts of this proposal – is uh, how much it would boost required spending by healthcare providers and and insurers on uh, certain services. i walk us through those.
1: Right. So what the governor's bill says, uh, or, or rather, what the governor's bill sets, uh, is a spending target, and it would require healthcare providers and insurers over the next three years, uh, or really the three years that follow twenty nineteen. Uh, ah, I see. Um. To increase the amount that they spend on addiction services, behavioral health, primary care, and geriatric services. It would have to increase spending on those uh, areas by 30% over the next three years. And the way the governor described this was that it would. Uh, all be within the parameters of the state's overall health care spending benchmark. Hmm. And you recall every year when the legislature and the administration agree on the consensus revenue figure, they also agree on a benchmark for total health care cost uh, um, growth or spending total health care spending growth for the year. It's been set at 3.6%. So the governor says this is all doable within that roughly 3.6% increase every year. And he sort of described it as um, reconfiguring how insurers and uh, providers spend the money within that total overall ceiling that they have to live under. So he wants uh, these companies to spend more on behavioral health and addiction treatment services rather than, for instance, um, buying a new uh, new piece of technology for the hospital or, or or something else of of that of that
0: ilk of that ilk yeah i 'm um, actually looking at his filing letter here that you link to in your story that that we just put out, um, and in this letter to the House and the Senate, um, he notes by way of introduction that uh, for the past fifty years the u s healthcare system is focused on uh, promoting and supporting technological advancements in medicine, but that along the way he he writes um, we've we've missed or lost sight of some of the changing nature of illnesses. Uh, and he points to the opioid epidemic and to mental health awareness and that sort of thing. So he's trying to um, refocus. Exactly, he's trying to refocus the conversation on on those things.
1: Right, some of these preventative services and and the things that. Uh, help people stay healthy rather than treating them once they've uh, become ill or experienced some sort of medical issue.
0: And Colin, uh, this bill uh, the governor proposes would also establish a commission to look at an issue that he was previously opposed to,
1: right? Well, so it's actually not in the bill itself. It was announced with the bill, but the governor signed an executive order this afternoon to create a commission that will conduct a comprehensive study of the individual and small group insurance markets, which several years ago were merged. And that's what the governor said. Uh, Originally, he had been opposed to that to the merging of those markets. Um, but now he wants this commission to look at the underlying trends contributing to uh, cost growth for individuals and small and mid midsize employers.
0: And one wonders how strategic this timing is. I mean, it is it is a Friday afternoon that he releases this bill, that he files it with the House Clerk's Office. Um, and as we look ahead to next week, we've got the so-called Super Bowl of health care. So he's kicking off the legislative conversation on health care right as they're about to have, what is it, two days, you just wrote the advance for us. Yeah, it's Tuesday and
2: Wednesday uh, yeah. d- hearings all two day. Two full
0: days of, of real in the weeds healthcare talk. Uh, what do we have coming up with that next week?
2: Like you said, Sam, this is two full days. We'll see uh, a range of different panels and remarks from uh, the big three here on Beacon Hill Governor Baker, House Speaker DeLeo, and Senate President Spilka are all set to speak at this cost trends hearing about the healthcare industry growth and in costs and what some of their priorities are as they set out to address. This we'll also hear, hear from Attorney General Maura Healy and a bunch of leaders in the healthcare industry itself. All right,
0: well we'll be watching that. We'll be we'll be covering that for sure next week. Um, we mentioned at the top of the podcast that both the House and Senate were pretty active in formal sessions this week, and the Senate passed uh, the so-called Nikki's Law, uh, creating a which would create a registry of uh, caretakers who are found to have uh, abused uh, patients with disabilities. And they also took up and passed their own version of the House's uh, children's health bill that that the House worked through um, this summer. Uh, on the House side, Chris, you were down there for their consideration of the governor's supplemental budget to close the books on this past fiscal year and there are a lot of other things uh, in there as well besides your your cut and dry spending for one thing it set the uh, primary date uh, for next year next year's elections uh, tell us a little bit about that
2: yep September 1st 2020 is what the house is suggesting as the uh, the statewide primary date obviously our presidential primaries in Massachusetts are in March next year's a presidential election cycle so that's a big one uh, and we should also note that the bill calls for five- days of early voting ahead of that March presidential primary, something that the Secretary of State has been really actively pursuing. And up until now, it seemed like he was convinced he wasn't going to get support from that uh, f- support for that from the legislature.
0: And is he good with the September 1st primary date?
2: He has said he is. I think, Colin, you were the one who talked to, uh, to Bill Galvin about the September 1st primary date, right?
1: Yeah, the Secretary is on board with that one uh, because it gives him enough time uh, sort of on the back end to take care of any recounts settle any other election-related disputes and get the general election ballots printed so he can send those to overseas and military uh, voters who uh, need a certain amount of time under federal law to be able to to get those ballots, vote, and send them back.
0: Now, another piece of the SUP that the House kept and passed was this decoupling from the federal Tax code. Um, can you explain? Can you explain this decoupling uh, concisely? And I know there was a little bit of tension on the floor uh, during debate of some amendments relative to this.
2: Yeah, I'll do, I'll do my best at this. So, so the 2017 uh, federal tax law changes. Uh, changed the way that businesses can claim interest on their tax returns, and so what this uh, this decoupling would do would basically restore Massachusetts to how that was treated before 2017. It is all pretty pretty in the weeds tax policy stuff. It's worth noting though that the Massachusetts Taxpayers Foundation estimated this would this would lead to about 37 million in foregone tax revenue next fiscal year. So it, it might be dense stuff, but it does carry a price tag with it. So this amendment to basically undo that section came from a handful of the, the most progressive Democrats there in the House. A and, lot of them uh, freshmen. Yeah, a lot of them freshmen. And what unfolded was probably the the most tension we saw on uh, during a session that was more or less routine and saw wide stretches of inactivity while they discussed amendments in back rooms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Besides some tension uh, between folks who are at the microphone, um, just briefly uh, by way of mentioning this, uh, there was some tension around someone who sought recognition from the chair and uh, what happened there with, with Rep. Sabadosa?
2: Yeah, I could see Rep. Sabadosa, I was down on the floor doing our session coverage, I could see Rep. Sabadosa standing and waving her arms asking to speak after a handful of speakers had gone, uh, advocating both for and against this amendment. Uh, she she was speaking pretty loudly, we went back and listened to the audio and we could, we could hear her asking Mr. Speaker to be recognized by uh uh, representative paul donato up on the rostrum but that didn't happen and the roll call on the amendment started and so once roll call voting starts you can't uh, uh, recognize anyone else to make additional remarks so this kind of thing does happen from time to time it's certainly not the first time we've seen it happen sometimes it's on purpose sometimes it's an innocuous oversight uh what's different about this one is there's been a day and a half of fallout about it with Rep. Sabadosa, Rep. Elogardo, another uh, freshman You know, among one of the more progressive and members. And heard from the Speaker's office about it, too. And we heard from the Speaker's office who called their complaints about the lack of recognition, recognition after the fact a cynical ploy trying to deflect from criticism of the amendment itself, which ultimately was voted down by a pretty wide margin.
0: Yeah, and sometimes we do see tensions flare up between the progressive side of the House and leadership, uh, but we hadn't seen that for a while. So it's, it's kind of popped back to the surface, at least from our vantage point.
1: And that was something that some of these uh, freshman lawmakers uh, made part of their campaigns last year. Right. There was a lot of talk about the processes by which the House um, uh, considers legislation. You remember last session, there was a big, big buzz over the uh, so-called Safe Communities Act, and there was a whole uh, issue over, you know, why that bill wouldn't come up to the uh, floor for a vote, et cetera, et cetera. And um, some of the candidates sort of grasped onto that as they were were running to um, to be elected into the House. But you're right; we hadn't seen it um, really jump out like in this public. right yeah. right as much as uh, maybe we would have expected
2: probably since the the rules debate right at the start of session uh, mm, i would almost point. say when they were debating how these kinds of things would unfold you know I, I get the sense and you guys have more years of experience with this than i do that um you know, leadership really tries to keep these kinds of disagreements in back rooms and present a unified front when they're out on the floor
0: right Yep. all right as far as what didn't make it uh, through the house from the governor's proposed sup uh, some fentanyl interdiction language Chris and also um, and five
2: million in, in funding for fentanyl
0: interdiction not just language but five million in funding for that as well well said well said <laughs> along with um, uh, the doubling of a tax break for uh, families with dependent children and so that's the big one that's that's really gotten a lot of headlines this week um, the governor said he's Looking ahead, hopefully, to what the Senate might do with this uh, when it lands uh, on them. We're hearing now, next week, the Senate's going to take this up, right?
2: They'll take this up next week. That's their plan in a Thursday formal session. We don't have any idea yet where they're going to fall on these Baker versus House questions, uh, which version they're going to agree with more. I talked to Senator Mike Rodriguez, the head of the Ways and Means Committee on Thursday, and he told me that they'd only received the bill a couple of hours beforehand, so had their work cut out for them to read through what exactly it is the House sent over and decide what they think.
1: And if the Senate is going to disagree with the House on some of these things, um, it will really put them under the gun here because— this isn't just any old supplemental budget or any old spending bill. This is the closeout SUP. This is the SUP that would close the books on fiscal year 19, which ended back at the end of June. And traditionally, the state comptroller needs that done so that he can file the annual statutory basis financial report. The what now? Yes, yes exactly. exactly. Uh, and
0: that's uh, due by November 1st. Oh, right?
1: right. He's supposed to file it uh, by the end of October for November 1st. The previous comptroller, Tom Shank, uh, used to uh, sort of make more of a big deal about the fact that he really wanted the legislature to close the books on the previous fiscal year in August, so it would give him enough time to prepare everything he must prepare for that deadline. Uh, The new comptroller, Andrew Mailer, um, hasn't uh, shown, hasn't expressed that same level of urgency here, but Certainly, if the House and Senate are going to disagree and going to have to conference things, uh, they would want to do that fairly quickly so that um, uh, the state's financial reporting requirements uh, don't lapse.
0: Exactly. Uh, and as the House and Senate potentially get caught up in some policy differences of what's included in the SUP, I'm sure that Andrew Mailer, uh, our new comptroller you mentioned, has some, some sweat on his brow as he, as he watches this unfold. Um, Uh, As far as the House goes, uh, for formal session next week, they'll be taking up the education funding bill that we've talked so much about on the podcast uh, that's already been through the Senate. And the Senate altered it with some amendments, and we'll see what the House changes that might mirror or further distance uh, from, from what the Senate's agreed to.
1: When I talked to Senate President Karen Spilka and Education Committee Chair Jason Lewis uh, a few weeks ago, right after the Senate unanimously passed its version of the uh, $1.5 billion education financing bill, they both said that they thought the changes the Senate made made the bill stronger and uh, thought that it wouldn't be a um, a real impediment to... uh, getting to a compromise bill eventually with the House.
0: But there are some hot-button issues in there, whether it be how they deal with charters or how they deal with uh, accountability oversight. That's uh, the big one. That's the big one. It is. And we've got all this with just about four weeks left, just about a month left in formal sessions before we wrap up the formals, uh, the consideration of those heady topics like a big SUP or or a big education funding bill uh, before folks head away for... Gosh, they head away for Thanksgiving and they don't come back till after New Year's.
1: Yeah, that's right. And between Thanksgiving and uh, maybe the first or second week in January, it'll be all sick leave, banks, and liquor licenses and the informals.
0: Oh yeah, love a good liquor license bill. <laughs> On that note, happy Friday afternoon, and we'll see you next week.
1: See ya. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the State House News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit Masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.